Hey, I'm Sarah. Hey, I'm Trish. And this is going to be part of our brief series. We're going to talk today about an, a saying that you and I learned from another lawyer who we may have or may have not practiced with in the past. Um, first liar always loses. First liar always loses. So that's our, you don't have to do opening and closing. That's the opening and the closing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it just goes it. straight to the middle it of it. Pretty, <laughs> it, it pretty well sums up what it's like to appear in a courtroom and there's so many examples from our own personal experience that we could give, but I, you know, I, I think the the main point that we want people to take away from this little brief series today is your credibility in front of a judge or a jury can make or break whether or not you win at trial mm-hmm. or even in an emotion hearing if you're appearing in front of an, in front of an arbitrator. Um, and even if you need Opposing a, a mediator too. to be on your yeah. side in a mediation, if you do not tell the truth, and, and that is not necessarily a black and white thing, but you know, if you push the envelope too close to the line uh, in any, any setting, you risk losing your credibility and your credibility in front of a trier of fact uh, or a, somebody who's making a determination as a matter of law is critical. Yeah, I mean, I remember walking in, you know, my, my first job as a lawyer, one of the senior partners had me in his office and he said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. He said, today is the first day of your credibility and you get to, you have a blank slate and you get to make it what you want it to be. And it's going to matter because you're going to build a reputation and it starts right now. So how are you going to handle opposing counsel? Are you going to be gracious when there's a deadline, a need for an extension informally? You know, are you going, because you're going to need one too, right? You're going to need that someday. And, you know, how are you going to represent yourself in the court? If you're going to say something, you better make sure it's true. Remember, what do you do? What is every person, every witness expected to do when they go into courtroom? Put the left hand of the Bible, raise the right, tell the truth, the whole, whole truth. truth, and nothing but the truth to help you God. And 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 that's really something that we need to, to live by. So, Sarah, do you have some uh, good examples of situations where credibility has made a difference? Every case involves that I know, but but give us yeah, give us so a story. I, so I have a I have a couple. I was recently in a court where where we are. Our courts will in our smaller counties have calendar calls. Yeah, <laughs> they bring every, they yeah, heard like they heard everybody in. come into the courtroom. And well, we you need to explain what it you, is. And you yeah, and so each matter before the court that day gets called during calendar calls. So it's generally a motions day in smaller counties. And so everybody who's got a motion on for the week in the, in that county comes mm-hmm. on Monday morning at ten o'clock. And That's how we they, met, remember? Yeah, <laughs> and they call the calendar, and that the judges will generally hear the matters from shortest to longest. So the shortest matters get taken care of real quick up front, and then the longer matters get taken care of on the back end. <laughs> all your motions are week. five minutes. <laughs> I wish. No, but this is how I get all my war stories, right? Because yeah. my, my butt's sitting in the courtroom till the end of the day. I know. Because <laughs> usually our, our hearings are, are longer. longer but, uh, and there was a very young lawyer, and he was making an argument to the court that he didn't have to answer an interrogatory that had been sent It's a to question, him. a written question that you have to answer. Right. And so his argument for why he didn't have to answer that question was rule... 406 of the rules of evidence mm-hmm. um one of the one of the relevance it's 403 403 404 405 just in the low 400s of the evidence rules in north carolina and 
the judge literally is just kind of looking at him and going, Oh, I know what you're going to say. Um, that's a rule of evidence. Yeah. And that poor young lawyer and I, he was from a relatively good sized firm. I was very surprised that he had not run that by anybody. Yeah. But I was very concerned for him and watching that. Right. That his credibility with that particular judge, and it's a judge that you and I know very well, he can be a little scary and yell at people sometimes, mm-hmm. was never after that day going to be able to appear in front of that same judge again without the judge really questioning the legal authority that right. he was putting in front of him. Well, that's... So, that you know, so that's a that's just one example. And he lost the motion, which he should have because he was wrong. And you right. can't base whether or not you're answering a, a written discovery question based on what's going to come into evidence at trial because that's not the standard. Right. And we all you know need to well, well, but to back up though, the, the every case has you've got your pleading, so you you do your complaint and then you respond to the complaint, and then the middle part of the case is called discovery. And that's where you um, send written questions to the other side that they have to formally answer, and they send questions to you. That is a broader funnel than what's admissible to explain it. Right. So what's discoverable is uh, anything that's reasonably likely to lead to the discovery of, of admissible, admissible evidence. evidence. Right. So it has to be something that may end up giving you a clue or in the right direction to find something that's ultimately admissible. And what this poor lawyer did was use the admissibility standards, which is the evidence rules, that's for trial, what can come in in front of the jury at trial, and confuse them with what are the discovery rules, which are a lot more lax. Mm -hmm. Lots of things are discoverable. (laughs) Lots of things are admissible, but but less. It's a smaller funnel as as the process goes on. So he just... It sounds like he genuinely didn't know. He wasn't trying to misrepresent. He just oh, yeah, didn't I think know. He just didn't know. But still, you know, I, I was worried for him, and I didn't know him. I to this day, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recognize him. But I, I was really worried about that. And I, you know, and I, I worry about sending our lawyers into the courtroom and and not being there to help them work through that process if yeah. there's something that they're getting ready to say that may not be a hundred percent accurate. But it's. It's critically important. Um, I just actually read a brief the other evening in in one of my cases, and I went and I pulled the case law that opposing counsel was relying on and making their arguments in their brief, and there was a statement that they put in a parenthetical. So after you cite to the case, some people summarize what the ruling was in the case. Oh, boy. parentheses after the citation to the case, which is case name, where it's reported, what year it was decided, all that. And in the parenthetical, they made a very cursory statement, something to the effect of where the court held that this was not a trade secret. And I thought, that's kind of interesting. Why don't I go and pull that case, yeah. which everyone should always do. If you, yes, always. Um, and trust me, the judges do them. And if they are judges who have law clerks, the law clerks are pulling it. And if you overstate what the ruling is in the case that you were relying oh, yeah. on for one of your principal arguments, it can be a real problem for you. They're going to have a real problem. I'm getting ready to write my response to that brief. They absolutely misrepresented Miss. the holding in that case. Um, because if the court had held that way, then the um, plaintiff would have gotten summary judgment. Mm. And instead, the court denied the motion for summary judgment and found that there were still questions of fact as to whether or not the product in that case was a trade secret. So it's a, you know, it just to me, you 
you have to be very precise about what you say, both with respect to the law and with respect to your facts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, And just a piece of advice for young lawyers out there, and this is a big sticking point for both Sarah and me, Um, For the young lawyers out there, when you're preparing something, whether it's a brief, pleading, whatever it is, do not cut, copy, and paste from another document without reading the rules that you're citing. Because and the cases you could fighting. write, but yes, and not just the not just the blurb that you see at the headline at the top, the Westlaw, you know, key point or whatever it is. Not just that the the case, the whole case, and nothing but the case. But you need to read the rules you're citing because the rules change sometimes. Sometimes the, they get assigned different numbers or they're amended. So always. Always, if you're going to put something on a piece of paper that is a pleading or you're sending it to the court, yeah, your credibility matters. And part of that credibility is being precise and accurate, including your what you're citing to, the rule you're citing to, and, and knowing the rule. Heck, you know, I've, I've told people before, sit down and read the rules of civil procedure from the beginning to the end. Or just say, I'm going to read one a day, whatever you need to do. But you need to stay up to, to date on those things because it's critically important. And it's a huge advantage if you do have that wealth of knowledge, like you've got, and it, you know, I love the and rules, you've re- and you've read the right. You and do. I always read the rules. I'll tell you, I was actually I was so exciting to be in person in court last week because um, we are still recording this during COVID, and so I actually had an in person appearance last week in our in our uh, western. She was all excited about it. <laughs> of North Carolina, I was so excited, um, and I appeared. It was really just a status conference, but we had um, a client who had a motion for preliminary injunction filed against them. Mm-hmm. And we had to submit our briefs in response to that motion for preliminary injunction in advance of this status conference where the court was going to decide how expedited the discovery needed to be. Like, how concerned do I really need to be that this requires a preliminary injunction? Because the more worried about it I am as the judge, the more likely I'm going to go ahead and speed up how much time you have to produce documents and that sort of thing. Um, If I'm less worried about it, then I'm I'm not going to... make it go that fast. But in any event, at the status conference, I said, and here are the notebooks that are required by the local rule, because each one of the submissions that we had for your honor had more than three exhibits attached. And so per the the local rules for the Western District of North Carolina, the judges want hard copies of all of the exhibits if there are more than three. And he gushed Oh, because you actually read the rules. He was like, <laughs> we so appreciate it Aww. when people read the rules. He goes, now, of course, those people, the poor lawyers <laughs> on, the, on other the other side, side didn't read the rules. Had not brought Whoops. the notebook of all of their stuff. Whoops. And I don't know if they had sent one down earlier um, because their stuff was actually due, you know, 10 days right. before my response or whatever it was. But um and then he had to very quickly kind of backtrack. He goes, now, just because you violate the local rules doesn't mean you're going to lose in my courtroom. Um, now, if you if you violate the rules of federal procedure, you might lose in my courtroom. But I'm not gonna, I'm not going to make you're not going to lose if you if you don't read the local rules or comply with them 100. percent But we sure do appreciate those. Well, lawyers. so again, that goes you're being to, thorough. It goes to your your overall credibility and mm-hmm. how you are viewed. And, you know, I know every state is different, but in North Carolina in particular, you know, our judges ride the circuit. Mm-hmm. So uh, they rotate every six months uh, at the beginning county. of July and then at the beginning of January to different counties within their districts. And so they are encountering, encountering one another 
in all different counties all over the state, not to mention their two annual judicial conferences Mm -hmm. that they have for all of our judges, uh, particularly on our Superior Court. And if anybody thinks that they're not talking to each other about the lawyers that oh, you know they chit chat, you know they chit chat. You know, I mean, so you you ruin your reputation with yeah. one judge, your reputation is ruined with all of the judges. That's so, true. Very true. You know, it goes back to that whole first liar always first liar always loses. loses. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah.